Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Rebel News live stream on this, a Thursday, April 7th, 2022. I'm David Menzies, and my co-host, well, let me tell you about my co-host. You know, folks, this is National No Housework Day. Her house is so clean, she doesn't have to clean it on any day. She is the she-devil with a sword. She is the Khaleesi of Northern Alberta. She is Sheila Gunn-Reed. How you doing there, Sheila? I'm great, David. I have to do very little housework, though, because I sort of kick the kids out of the house. Like, I'm like, go outside and play. Don't play in here. Go outside. I just wash the floors. That's usually how I keep my house clean. But I will tell you, I did, like, as uh was prepping for the live stream, I quickly recorded a video, ran upstairs, made a coffee, washed the floors, ran back downstairs. Had I known it was National No Housework Day, I would not have touched them up. <laughs> you know, Sheila, I'm going to have to send you a calendar that outlines all the national days. It's also Please. National Beard Day and National <laughs> what, Girl... Is it beard or beer? <laughs> yeah, beer and National Girl Me Too Day. And I can't couldn't make sense of that one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, like one ask, one causes problems for the other there. <laughs> I think so. I, you know, I think there's some mixed messaging going on there. I'm so happy you're back. Uh, you were doing very important work covering uh, the trial involving, uh, well, as you like to call her, um, the necromancer. <laughs> that would be, of course, <laughs> um, the uh, chief, the health, the health officer for Alberta Health Services, Dina. Henshaw. Um, anything of note to report or are we uh, sort of putting the cart ahead of the horse here? Yeah, you know, before I go on, I'm not quite sure why my color in my Skype feed to you looks like I'm gray and dead, but it might have something to do with <laughs> having the life sucked out of me for three days straight by what I would describe as a chupacabra of a court hearing where it's just like every day your life force is being drained and you're just discarded <laughs> at the end of it, just this empty shell of a human being. There's not, oh, thank you for fixing that. There's nothing more exhausting <laughs> than listening to bureaucrats talk and justify how they ruined the lives of so many people. Um, and they basically say, well, we were just going on the information that we had at the time. But the information you had at the time was wrong. The choices you made were wrong. And you called everybody who said, you know, there's probably a different way to do things here. Uh, conspiracy theorists, naysayers, and non-believers, I think was my favorite thing that she referred to, uh, people who didn't believe in the government uh, COVID narrative. And as it turns out, hindsight being 2020, those people were actually right. So, um, you know, it's just been a lot of cross-examining Dina Hinshaw on uh, her prior statements, a lot of the things um, in particular, um, the lawyers have gone through 400 of her press conferences to compare because she wouldn't shut up about misinformation and you have to rely on the government um, oh. for uh, for your information. Go to approved sources. Don't spread misinformation. Uh, don't believe everything you see on the Internet. She was saying that. And so they would go and find a time when she said that and then literally the next press conference wherein she would spread misinformation. For example, like when she said that that 14-year-old boy died of COVID when it was right. brain cancer. And she was corrected not through her own data, but because the family was outraged, absolutely outraged. And Justifiably she so, Sheila. 
and she didn't get permission from the family yeah. to release that information. Now, they didn't release any identifying information about the boy, but they sure released enough information that the family knew who the heck they were talking about and said, hey, you're talking about our kid, and our kid did not die of COVID. He died with COVID that he got while he was in the hospital on palliative care pretty well. Did that come up in the last few days, that anecdote about the 14-year-old uh, boy, Sheila? Yeah, yeah. It did. And what did, did she because, say about um, that? I mean, is oh, there any she, contrition on her part? No, I mean, she. there is and there isn't. She did say that uh, we didn't release any identifiable information, <sighs> to which the lawyers responded, well, you released enough that the family of this boy knew exactly who you were talking about, yeah. and then you got an earful from them. And she said, well, uh, we apologize for any... Um, you know, a trauma that we may have caused the family. But the point the lawyers were making was every time that they had a vaccine rollout for kids, there was a scare about a child that had died with COVID. So when they did the vaccine rollout for kids who are under the age of 18, just prior to that, she's releasing information about this 14-year-old that died of COVID, as it turns out, it's... or with COVID, but not of COVID. He had brain cancer. And then um, she, when they were rolling out the um, vaccine for 5 to 11-year-olds, I can't even believe I'm saying that, when they were rolling it out to 5 to 11-year-olds, she was talking about, just prior to that, an infant that had died with COVID or a young, like a baby, a toddler that had died with COVID. So it seemed like all these like attempts to scare people ha would happen any time that there was a... a, a new vaccine demographic where uh, the lawyer said, you know, you were terrorizing parents into getting their kids vaccinated. But, you know, Sheila, if we dial it back to the big picture, OK, uh, as you said, Henshaw was saying, uh, don't believe what you read on the Internet. Don't fall for all the misinformation out there. And, and justifiably so. There, there is misinformation. I mean, uh, Google can be uh, a wealth of uh, knowledge. It can also be a conduit to uh, every conspiracy theory out there. But here's the thing. And I spoke about this with uh, Natasha a couple of days ago. What happens when the various health services experts start to contradict each other? And by that, I mean, as you know, Sheila, in Ontario, March 21st, the mask mandate finally went away. This week, Cruella de Villa, or sorry, Eileen de Villa, uh, the city of Toronto health necromancer, she's already campaigning to put these masks back. But the thing is, the ending of the mask mandate was from the provincial chief medical health officer, Kieran Moore. Why is it that Davila thinks that her health information of a, a, a sort of from a, a municipal standpoint trumps the provincial health services minister? I mean, who do I believe, right? Um, who watches the watchers, in other words? Well, that's the thing. And when they get these things wrong, all they say is, well, that's the information we had at the time. And then when you ask them where you got the information, they say Pfizer. <laughs> you know, um, wow. at one point, Hinshaw was telling people in her press conferences that the vaccines. Oh, I'm just dancing so close to um, getting us kicked off of YouTube. But I'm just I'm I'm talking about exactly what unfolded in a court hearing. So just settle down big tech censors. Um, but 
she said that the vaccine provides 80% protection upon the first dose. We know that statistically that is not the case, especially now, wherein uh, the um, more people who are triple jabbed in Ontario, adjusted to population, are getting sick with COVID. Yeah. She said they were 80% perfect, effective after one dose based on the information that was available at the time. When the, the lawyer said, well, where did you get that information? And she said, Pfizer clinical trials. So, yeah, of course they're saying that. Well, Sheila, you know, maybe we'll tackle this when we get off uh, YouTube yeah. towards the end of the show. But your report about you and your friend getting testing oh. uh, done, uh, <laughs> it, it is an absolute magnificent piece of journalism. It is so important. Uh, it is something that the mainstream media should have done, but they will not. Um, so we should address that because I think it is so important. Uh, I don't care where you are. Uh, in terms of the COVID-19 argument, you have to see uh, what Sheila did uh, with her friend in terms of uh, uh, the jab and not getting the jab and what have you. But um, in the meantime, you mentioned uh, walking a fine line in terms of getting yeah. kicked off by YouTube by the Silicon Valley censorious thugs. Why don't you tell everybody what it is we're trying to do here, Sheila? Sure. And... Um... I'll rely on you to help us get through the show because I really haven't taken that great of a look uh, at the show topics today. But we are 10 minutes into the show and I should tell everybody how best that they can view us and support us. And uh, I think I'm going to finally, finally spare everybody the history of, you know, why we're not why we can talk about certain things and why you're viewing us on a Thursday instead of a Friday. So um this is the Rebel News Daily Livestream. We think it's a great way to interact with each other, as you can clearly see, but also to uh, allow you to interact with us and for you to support the work that we do. So we are currently streaming on YouTube, even though it's a censorship platform, but there are one point, almost 1.6 million uh subscribers sets of eyeballs over there we don't want to abandon you but if you are watching us there might i suggest you find us on a less censorious platform like rumble odyssey and super you and the thing about those platforms is they don't care about uh your politics and um i don't care about theirs but they give you a way to support the work that we do completely willingly so on rumble you can leave us a paid chat called a rant and we'll read it on air i think one of those just flashed up on the screen so that's what it'll look like if you send us one um on odyssey it's a hyper chat send us one of those we'll read it on air um and super you it's called a super you shout and we're also streaming over on getter i believe um and so there are lots of places where you can find us that aren't YouTube. And I think that's it. But anyways, we look forward to your chats and we'll do our best to read them as they come in. And of course, a uh, big night uh, in terms of the upcoming budget. And, you know, uh, one thing I just want to uh, tackle, it's sort of a silly sidebar issue, but it's in all the media. Uh, it's that kind of goofy tradition of the um, of the minister getting a new pair of shoes. And, uh, well, there you have Finance Minister Christia Freeland. She went out, bought a new pair of shoes. They look like, you know, I don't know, eight-inch stilettos from the photo I'm looking at. What did I say in the morning meeting? She crammed her hooves into some a new pair of shoes or something. But my... My suggestion, Sheila, is she should have modified this tradition and maybe after getting the shoes, uh, walk a little further down in the mall and shop for, oh, I don't know, a dress that fits. 
And I'm going to shut up right now and run some video so that everyone who hasn't seen this footage before knows exactly what I'm talking about. It is absolutely embarrassing. And um, this was not a goof yeah. on our part. We had to do some uh, technical monkeying around so that we wouldn't be uh, confused with you porn. And anyways, I'll shut up right now and uh, show you why. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> yeah, don't ask, don't ask me how I know this, but. Uh... You can hardly use your phone. How do you know these things? Anyway. So let's take a look at some infamous, what do they call it again? Oh, yeah. Wardrobe malfunction. That's what it is uh, that occurred with Miss Freeland a while back. Minister's car just approached. So I am going to go right now. I'm going to quit filming. I'm going to go inside and see if I can talk to her. This aged him like 10 years, by the way. <laughs> Hi, Minister. Would you be able to tell me what inspired you to get into politics? I sure would, and I'm going to do it in an event I'm about to speak at. Sure. Well, I'm not. Okay. I'm not going up there, but I'd well, love to hear. Maybe I can talk to you after because I'm late for it. Okay. But I promise okay. we'll, I'll be okay. coming up to the store did, after. Did your grandfather? No, I, did your grandfather me, inspire you me, by chance? I'm putting on my shoes to go in this event, and actually, my grandfather Wilbur Freeland, who your maternal was grandfather. a volunteer in the Second World War and was seconded to the RAF, was a great inspiration. Will you condemn your? Will you condemn your maternal grandfather? I'm sorry. Thank you very much. Will you be condemning your maternal I'm, grandfather? I'm really happy to give you my card, and you can ask me all of your questions. Yeah, okay. I, you're not the minister. It's not your yes, grandfather. Well, of course, she wasn't very interested in talking. I know it's probably a soft spot. She said that her paternal grandfather, of course, fought on the good guy's side, but I'm not sure Nazis cancel out like that. Yeah, you know, um, I'm going to, you know, carefully frame my language here. Let's put it this way, folks. A lot of, uh, we got some comments where, oh, come on, that was a gag uh, by Rebel News. You were putting that blur there unnecessarily. Uh, no, we weren't. Let's put it this way. Uh, there was no mystery anymore whether or not uh, Miss Freeland was a biological no, female. No, <laughs> That's all I'm saying. That's, well, come on. <laughs> and so, you know. I'll never forget the text message I got from Kean when he's like, I ran into her in the airport. And then he went on to like detail what he had just experienced. Poor guy. Um, <laughs> But um, obviously, here's the point. She's got plenty of shoes. Um, she Every time I see her, she's either taking off a different pair of shoes or changing a pair of shoes or kicking another pair of shoes off. Um, so this is the tradition of the Canadian finance minister. They go and buy new shoes to announce the budget. But it's kind of tone deaf to do this, um, to go buy expensive new shoes and show off your expensive new shoes at a time of record inflation. You just raised the carbon tax and Canadians can't afford to put gas in their cars. And you're prancing your little hooves all around the shoe store um, with your fancy friends. It, I just think it is absolutely tone deaf. Someone who actually was not going to announce a devastating budget to Canadians, which I'm sure that's what's going to happen today. They would have been more um, aware of what normal Canadians are going through, but the Liberals just aren't. They just don't seem to get it. You know what? You nailed it, uh, Sheila. And I don't know anything about women's shoes other than that they can go. I don't into either. 
but but we do know they can go into the thousands of dollars. I don't know how uh, those kind of fees are justified. Just like very high end designer handbags can be in the thousands of dollars. That looks like a very high end shoe store. Like, what do you think maybe those shoes cost? Because I'm betting they are out of the reach of uh, most middle class Canadians. Let's say that. I'm looking up what they cost right now. Okay, then. Oh, she at least sought out Canadian made shoes. So that's great. Well, that's good. Uh, and you can even get vegan ones, which is fine, I guess, um, if you care about those sorts of things. But I like to use all parts of the animal. Um, <laughs> So we're looking at about 150 bucks for those shoes. You know what? I don't think that's that bad, we know, when it comes no. to, to shoes. So, um, but, you know, at, at least uh, I give her a thumbs up for putting slacks on that day to uh, spare the uh, poor shoe store retail employee from any uh, kind of site that Kian Bexley saw a couple of years, you know? So uh, there you go. So now she's got her shoes. Uh, of course, this is the circus sideshow part of the budget. Uh, when it comes to the budget, um, I, we'll find out in the hours ahead what's going to be announced. I get this feeling, given that we have a prime minister who infamously said the budget will balance itself, um, and by the way, if you don't believe me about that, folks, let's uh, get into the um, virtual DeLorean with the flux capacitor and go back to, I think it was 2014 around then. Uh, and uh, let's see Trudeau actually say those words, lest you think I'm making this up. Infrastructure spending that actually matters to Canadians is not there. Uh, this is all about holding the course so they can look good in the next election. So in, in this economic climate, how, how committed to a balanced uh, budget would you be right now? Would it worry you to go into deficit in this current climate to, as you say, put more people to work? The, the commitment needs to be uh, a commitment to grow the economy and the budget will balance itself. Uh, this way, they're artificially fixing a target of a balanced budget in an election year and they're going through all sorts of twists and turns and bends to try and get it just right and the timing just right in the announcement. And that's irresponsible. What you need to do is create an economy that works for Canadians, works for middle class Canadians, allows young people to find a job, allows seniors to be uh, feel secure in their, in their retirement. Would you be prepared that's to tolerate a deficit, a significant deficit, to, to, to grow the economy over the longer term? Or do you think that's required? No, I think the kinds of investments that one needs to make uh, need to be made in in order to grow, grow the economy, and we don't have to talk about longer term, we can talk about medium term. What we have right now is an extremely short-term budget uh, by a government that's focused on election posturing and not on actually giving Canadians the help they need. All right. Uh, appreciate your time. Okay, you know, that interview was a bit of a fail, Sheila, because the obvious question that journalists should have raised as a follow-up is, um, Mr. Trudeau, what do you mean by the budget will balance itself? Because, Sheila, I'm not being funny here because like some eight years later, and I've asked economists about this, what was he talking about? And nobody knows. What does that mean? The budget will balance itself coming from the lips of uh, a year later, the man who would indeed be prime minister of this great dominion. Well, and that's the thing. Like, I think if Stephen Harper had said, um, the budget will balance itself because we're going to get the government out of the way. We're going to unlock the power of the private sector and, you know, we'll we'll generate revenue through stimulating economic activity. Makes perfect sense. Yes. Yes. Yeah. But Justin Trudeau 
he's the guy who also said we'll grow the economy from the heart outward whatever that means do you remember that that was one of the dumbest things he's ever said and he says dumb things every single day and again nobody was like what on earth does that mean why are there's no such thing as care bear economics what does that mean nobody ever pressed him on it and it makes me nervous when i hear him uh talk about the middle class because I think that's going to be the big target in this budget. It's going to be, you know, as my friend Lou Skeezes, uh, who has an economics background, likes to say, uh, we have many levels of government that like to take from the makers and give to the takers. And I think uh, if you're in the middle class, you've got a nice big bullseye uh, on the back of your head uh, in terms of paying for these outrageous federal programs that go on and on in terms of creating a bigger debt, a bigger deficit. In fact, Sheila, I it's sort of sad. I think the idea, and this isn't just with liberal governments, it's with governments of other political stripes too, the idea of having a balanced budget, the idea of being fiscally responsible, I don't think it exists anymore. I don't think it's a big deal anymore when it should be. Yeah, it used to be like there used to be liberals who cared about this sort of stuff. I think Paul Martin kind of cared about it. Yes. Even Jean Chrétien, to some extent, he cared about uh, the budget um, insofar as if he was doing okay there, nobody really paid attention to all of his corruption on the other side of the equation. Um, And that used to be the way the liberal governments operated. If the economy was doing well. Um, nobody really paid attention to all the other garbage they were doing in the background. Mm. Um, but not these liberals. They just are outflanking the NDP on just about every issue from the left, rendering the NDP completely obsolete. Well, going from the man who is now prime minister uh, to the man who wants to be prime minister, yet when you compare his Wait, route. Sorry, before we. Yes. Well, before we <laughs> run away from Justin Trudeau on this. Sure. There's a tweet. There's a tweet from Efron. And it's this is, again, this sort of like I called it um, Bernie Madoff um, economics here. This is if somebody told you this, uh, like if you were investing your money, you would be like, OK, Madoff. OK, Ponzi scheme. Um, But Justin Trudeau says this about climate policy and everyone's like, yeah. Yeah, we are going to get more money if we pay more for things. Um, So (laughs) we just have to give this guy our money. And he'll give us more of our money back. If somebody on the street corner told you that, you'd be like, get lost. But the guy who told you the budget is going to balance itself and he's going to grow the economy from the heart outward, he tells you that and you're like, yep, makes perfect sense to me. So this is Justin Trudeau on the price on pollution because he's being pressed on the fact that um, the carbon tax went up just a couple of days ago, again, while families are facing out-of-control inflation. And his excuse is, just give me more money and I will give you even more money, Bernie Madoff. Let's be clear about the facts. The price on pollution means more money in Canadians' pockets and less pollution in our air. Even the member for New Brunswick Southwest acknowledged that our plan helps lower 
income households the most. And we know that eight out of 10 Canadians get more money back when they spend. I spent significant time speaking uh, with our agriculture workers and farmers, and they have said that they know the world is changing. They need support to Which farmers said this? And the price on pollution is part of moving forward hand in hand with farmers to build a better future for their kids, for their grandkids, and all of Canada. Sheila, did it's he like he just... has no idea what part of the country the farmers are from. You talk to <laughs> like you talk to the farmers. Oh, the farmers in like Western Manitoba, all of Saskatchewan, all of Alberta, and the interior of BC. You talk to them. Guess how they voted? And all Sheila, blue. I think <laughs> Trudeau just chan channeled uh, former Prime Minister uh, Cretchen and Premier Ford in terms of uh, an imaginary friend. Remember Cretchen talking about yeah. uh, on the way to the Parliament Hill, he would have conversations with this homeless man. And then, thank God, back then the media actually did some. At least he uh, didn't strangle him. <laughs> yeah, where, where, where is this guy? We can't find him. And Quit of course, talking to him. Give him 50 bucks. <laughs> and of course, Premier. You know? Premier Ford talking about, I think, what was it, a, a 10-year-old boy, Albert? Um, I'm, I can't remember all the deals with uh, Joe Clarity. Biden's corn pop. I <laughs> <laughs> drove to his house, went into his house, right? Like, yeah. hey, stranger danger. And I don't believe that kid exists. I don't believe the homeless man exists. And that farmer Trudeau's referring to, can you give us his name? Can you give us what uh, municipality he was farming? What was he farming? When the hell do you go out to the farm, Prime Minister Trudeau, and speak with the, uh, with the hired hands? That's what I want to know. I don't believe this is oh. true probably some liberal linked fish farmer in Atlantic Canada <laughs> getting handouts on the side because he's friends with the Minister of Fisheries and Oceans. Like this is not a just a regular Alberta farmer who's like, you know what? I wasn't sure about the carbon tax and paying more for all my inputs, especially fertilizer, especially fertilizer because of the war in Russia. I'm so I was really worried about how that would cut into my bottom line, but um, Justin Trudeau showed up and explained it to me that if I pay more for everything, my family will have more money in their pocket. Yeah. What? And, uh, <laughs> Sheila, imaginary friends aside, we know from two weeks ago, the parliamentary budget office took a deep dive into this and indicated most Canadians are, um, you know, they're going to be hit uh, thanks to the, the carbon tax, it's going to be uh, net negative, not positive. So I would trust, you know, the economists that are part of uh, that organization more than I would uh, a prime minister talking about uh, meeting imaginary friends that are uh, champing at the bit for more carbon taxes. Uh, like. I don't even know how anybody can believe when Justin Trudeau says, <laughs> give me more money, pay more for everything in your life and your family will be richer But because I'm going to give you a rebate. So I'm going to make sure that you pay more for things instead of just letting you keep your money. I'm going to cycle it through the hands of a thousand bureaucrats and there's going to be administration fees off the top of everything. I'm going to issue you a rebate. That's more than what you put in. Yeah. Again, I say this is Bernie Madoff stuff. And also, Sheila, whatever happened 
in terms of this war on pollution, this war on climate change, whatever happened to leading uh, by example? And by that, every time I go to a uh, visit by the prime minister somewhere, uh, the entourage is typically seven SUVs. Most of them are Chevy Suburban V8s and one minivan. And when they get to the destination, forever, however the lo long the, uh, the event is for, could be 25 minutes, could be several hours, those vehicles, their engines are never shut off. So they're idling. The AC is on in full in summertime. The heat is on in full oh, in the it. wintertime. I've seen it. <laughs> yeah. And, and why? I, I, I mean, and of course, if, if you know anything about the internal combustion engine, it is most efficient when it's going at highway speeds. It is the worst in terms of tailpipe emissions when it is simply parked idling. And uh, but no, that's uh, uh, that is du rigueur for this um, so-called climate change prime minister, isn't it, Sheila? David, I've seen those idling limos and the <laughs> acres and acres of idling buses at the climate change conferences. There you go. And boy, do I have a story for you, because even though I couldn't go to Glasgow because of travel restrictions this year to the UN Climate Change Conference, I do know that they like their limos at these fancy things. One of the most important parts of fighting climate change is leaving your limo running all day. This is what I've learned after many years of being on this climate change beat and going to the UN conferences. So I pulled their limo expenses for the Canadian delegation, which was enormous, by the way, over 200 people. Um, people from banking, like pay your own way. Get off the taxpayer dime, your well-paid banksters. Pay your own way. Um, but anyways, I pulled the limo expenses, and that story will be out on uh, Friday. I like can't, in, I can't yeah. wait. You you do such great work. And I remember being at a U.N. conference, which our own government banned uh, myself and uh, our— uh, Sorry about old... that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know it's your fault. Uh, in Morocco. And the other thing I noticed, in addition to idling SUVs, is that typically the number of passengers in a seven-seat SUV— is one. It's almost always one dignitary. Why do you need um, an SUV? You could do the job with a Mazda Miata, for goodness sakes. But why is all that automotive real estate out there when you're just, um, you know, taxing around one person? Well, and these are low-level bureaucrats taking uh, climate vacations, climate parties. Yeah to fancy parts of the world, staying in fancy hotels. Nobody knows who you are. Why do you, even if you argue that you need to travel around in an SUV for security, nobody knows who you are in Morocco or Bonn, Germany. You're some pencil pusher with Environment and Climate Change Canada. It's not like you're like a high level kidnap target. Take a <laughs> Prius cab. There are a ton of those, and especially in European cities. You see them everywhere. Actually, that was one of the things that um, we saw when we were in, uh, I think it was Katowice, Poland. Um, maybe it was the one after that, that, oh, Madrid. Every day you could go and see all the limos lined up to pick up the dignitaries, but you could also see the lineup of uh, Prius uh, taxis that nobody was taking. They were like walking past those to get into their internal combustion vehicles. You know, uh, it's the hypocrisy, I think, Sheila, they 
don't even hide from it or try to explain it away anymore. They, they just do it. And it's their new normal. And they don't care. If you catch them red-handed being hypocrites, they just shrug their shoulders. They, they're that entitled. Um, but anyways, uh, it would be nice to see them uh, lead by example. And, uh, you know, uh, I don't even know for PR reasons alone, Sheila, why wouldn't Justin Trudeau make his fleet um, electric cars, plug-in hybrid cars, so that they get those green plates and say, look, we're leading by example. But no, uh, it's like I said, I guess they just don't care about being uh, hypocritical anymore. What, what, a, what a shame. Um, the, we've got, we're going to go now from the prime minister to the man who wants to be prime minister, don't bet the ranch on this one. Uh, oh, no. Jean Charest. And by the way, before we get to the news item, uh, Sheila, Jean Charest um, is kind of like he's almost looks Joe Biden-ish when I see him, uh, it, meaning that he's like a guy in an international airport that just arrived from God knows where. And he's wandering around, you know, with this sense of amazement. Where do I go? Uh, where's my family and friends? Uh, there's no one around. Whereas <laughs> Pierre Polyev, uh, just the other day, he was in Lindsay. Lindsay is a small town north of Ontario, folks. He drew more than a thousand people. That's a big deal for little Lindsay, for a thousand people to be drawn anywhere. And Sheila, what I love is when I'm listening to talk radio on my way into headquarters, how the mainstream media pundits are losing their minds, how they're saying, uh, oh, you know, Pierre, uh, he's peaking uh, too early. And, uh, you know, Sheree, uh, he, he's got the experience. And uh, let's not forget about Patrick Brown. He's so good at organizing uh, certain <laughs> cultural communities. I swear to God. Yeah, like the, uh, the ice hockey community, I suppose. <laughs> but it is incredible to see them right off uh, Polyev as saying, this is like a Roman candle. It's spectacular right now, but in three seconds, uh, all the sparkly fireworks are gone. Uh, but in any event, uh, Sheree is saying law is, quote, not a buffet, end quote. He wants to make it an offense to blockade critical infrastructure. So I think we see where Mr. Sheree is uh, when it comes to uh, the Freedom Convoy, um, because I don't think he made mention of, do you remember, uh, Sheila, just 10 minutes before COVID hit, the um, Native and, of course, those claiming to be Native holding the, ca uh, the country ransom by blockading rail lines across our dominion. Sheree uh, doesn't seem that concerned about that, but when it's the truckers who are bringing goods to supermarkets, to pharmacies, as Tucker Carlson likes to say, if you are alive, thank a trucker. Yep. Um, he's got uh, he's got a bit of a bee in his bonnet. Um, you know what? I'm glad he said that because now we know where Jean Charest stands when it comes to the Freedom Convoy. Well, yeah, and especially when the only time this sort of law has ever really been used has been on freedom protesters. Um, it was used in Alberta. Our version of this, the Critical Infrastructure Defense Act, was never used on rail blockaders. It was never used on pipeline saboteurs or people who chain themselves to equipment or burn down uh, construction equipment at a pipeline site. It's yeah. not. It's never been used on those people. It was used on Pastor Art 
Pelosi when he gave a speech, a sermon really, to truckers who were themselves blockading the Coots border. He went down the day of, he went back a couple hours later, he didn't stay. They were blockading before, they continued to blockade after. It's been used to imprison him and shut him up. And what Josh Ray is proposing here is really a replication yep. of what Christia Freeland did to the truckers. If you read this, it says, if elected prime minister, I'm reading this in the National Post, Sean Ray is promising to introduce a critical infrastructure protection act. So a critical infrastructure defense act. I mean, he's just poaching this from Alberta that will make it a criminal offense to blockade, trespass or interfere with critical infrastructure such as pipelines, railways, ports, border crossings. This is the interesting one, interprovincial highways. So the Ontario government could block you from going to Quebec, but you can't block politicians from going to Quebec. Um, anyway, that includes their construction, maintenance, and operation. He also promises, this is chilling, seeing what we've seen happen to civil liberties yep. at the hands of police, this is chilling. He promises to give police the power to clear illegal blockades from these critical sites without seeking a court injunction to amend the Income Tax Act to remove charitable status from any group that has accepted foreign funds and has engaged in action related to the new offenses wow. created in this act. If he were to use this to go after tides or whatever they call tides in Canada now, make way, I think it's called, um, or, you know, uh, environmental defense, if he were using that to go after them, that's fine. But that's not what this is about at all. Otherwise, the leaders would have been uh, talking about this after the Alberta inquiry came out that pointed to the billions of dollars in foreign funding coming in to block pipelines. They would have been talking about this then, but they're talking about this now after the convoy. That's what this is about. You're 100% right. And if uh, Mrs. Producer Olivia can go back to the um, headline of that article, because I, I thought I saw an interesting name uh, who was a cheerleader yeah. for this, and that would be, uh, yeah, Leona Alislev also throws her hat into the leadership race. Uh, isn't that interesting, uh, Sheila? Because we have... Um, Charest, who was the liberal premier of Quebec for eight years. We have Leona Alislev, who was a liberal. And a few years ago, you remember, she crossed the floor. Uh, she was She's got the, a Mary Patrick Brown vibe to her, where she just wants to be in charge of something. Isn't it amazing? way the wind blows. And, you know, you're absolutely right. What I've been told by my sources is that she did internal polling. And that riding of Oak Ridge as Aurora, Richmond Hill, which is the riding I live in, so I know a little bit about this riding. Her in, her po uh, internal polling indicated it was going to be a close race, but was likely going to go conservative. And she was uh, right. So she made the right choice. But this uh, but last year, of course, in another close race, uh, she lost. Uh, it's now a liberal MP uh, for that riding. But the point I'm trying to get to is, isn't it making you a little sick to your stomach that an ex-liberal premier, an ex-liberal MP are vying for the conservative leadership and they're going to make things right? This is just another, you know, um, brand of liberalism. This is a liberal light. I, I mean, you might even call it liberal classic because they've run mm -hmm. under the liberal brand. What in blue hell is she doing in this race anyways? <laughs> this is all very Redfordian, um, where your only pursuit is power. 
you really don't have an ideology except you want to be in charge of stuff. And that's what happened here in Alberta. And it led to, I guess, at the end of the day, through some very big mistakes of um, Daniel Smith and the Waldros party, the NDP being in charge. These are people who, they, they, they will be liberal if it means getting to be in charge of stuff. They'll be conservative if it means getting to be in charge of stuff. And when you look at what Sheree is saying here, this is literally stuff that could have come out of Freeland's mouth or Justin Trudeau to defend invoking the emergency uh, act. He says, the rule of law and the Canadian legal system are not a buffet. I would tend to agree here, but the problem is they're picking and choosing which charter rights that we get to have through yeah. all of this. So, um, and he hasn't said anything about civil liberties here. He wants to defend um, the rule of law these are people who are reacting to their civil liberties being stomped on for two years. But anyways, he says the rule of law in the Canadian legal system are not a buffet. Parliamentarians can't pick and choose when to follow the law. This is a shot across the bow to Pierre Polyev, who has said that he supported the truckers. Um, and this is a shot across the bow to the other conservative MPs also like uh, Leslie Lewis, who supported the convoy when it rolled into Ottawa. This is basically him trying to jettison the most popular parts of the party right now in favor of what? Appealing to Justin Trudeau's voters? <sighs> it's going to work out for him like it did for Aaron O'Toole. And, and you know, Sheila, let's not forget the third quasi-liberal stooge, and that is, of course, sneaky Patrick Brown. Does anyone in their right minds believe that this is a conservative or a progressive conservative? This man, is, you know, who would have been premier uh, of the province, if not, thank God, for that palace coup in January of 2018, he threw social conservatives under the bus after saying he was going to go to bat for them in terms of the radicalized sex ed curriculum. And then he changed his mind on that. He threw fiscal conservatives under the bus by saying in his first speech, becoming a PC Ontario leader, that he was pro-carbon tax. Um, this is really the reason uh, he was ousted. I know that sex scandal that's being debunked now uh, came out, but that was sort of the reason to hook the palace coup on. What progressive conservatives realized is that so many conservative voters in this province were going to stay at home. Uh, what Ford delivered, a supermajority, was maybe going to be a minority or not even the government under Patrick Brown. He burned so many conservative bridges. So here is a guy that now wants to be the prime minister, the conservative prime minister of Canada, uh, you know, a third liberal. Uh, it, it just shows how much this party has been co-opted. And why are people support like Michelle Rempel, Sheila, uh, throwing her support behind Patrick Brown. Can you explain that to me? No. But the good news <laughs> is, uh, I can't. Um, but the good news is, when you said who in their right mind would support these people, the good news is, frankly, nobody is. So yes. uh, I just pulled this up. Uh, it's from Polling Canada. It was one of uh, Efron's tweets, I think. Uh, Conservative Party of Canada leadership polling. So this is, I think, from the membership itself. Uh, we've got Pierre Polyev at 66%. So two in three Conservative voters would vote for Pierre Polyev. Sheree is at 18%. 
So uh, the the sad part is that um, nearly 20% of the party real, really still wants to be liked by CBC. This is the I want to be liked by CBC vote. <laughs> um, then we've got Patrick Brown, as you said, no one in their right mind, well, 6%. There you go. Uh, we've got Leslie Lewis at 6%. Uh, Atchison, uh, that is uh, Scott Atchison, I think. Is that who it is? Yes, Ontario Scott Atchison. I didn't even know he had entered the race. So... Um, and Roman Baber at 1%. So he's very odd. Those last two are pretty darn Ontario-centric. And I think Lewis, who did well in the last leadership race, particularly out here in the West, I think uh, her votes are being cannibalized by just the juggernaut of Pierre Polyev. I think people really like her. They're happy to see her in the party. Under normal circumstances, they would probably vote for her and support her. But they see Pierre as the winner. Like the person who is charismatic and uh, has enough momentum to get rid of Justin Trudeau. Well, I'll tell you, Sheila, um, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I went to um, uh, Pierre Polyev's uh, rally in Don Valley. It was standing room only. I thought the ceiling was going to cave in, especially when he pledged to defund the CBC. Numerous standing ovations, um, a complete cross-section of the diversity of Canada in that room supporting him. I think there's something happening there. I, I think it, I, I dial it back to, you know, uh, 2016 with Donald Trump, those rallies, when you saw the vibe, you saw these enormous numbers. Yeah. And the uh, Republican, uh, you know, establishment, um, you know, walking around. I mean, I, m I remember that one photo of, of, of uh, Jeb Bush, rather, the look on his face, Sheila, it looked like he just inhaled one of those exploding cigars and it blew up, right? You know, just in, um, you know, completely discombobulated about what was going on. I'm getting that vibe with Polyev. And to see his uh, media stooges trying to run cover that, oh, he's peaking early, uh, he's not real, this is, this is, pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Uh, oh, no, uh, pay a lot of attention to that man <laughs> behind the curtain. I think that, I think he's going to win, Sheila. I do too. And it is, there's a lot of like Donald Trump vibe here where the, the people, the party faithful are saying like, hey, that's our guy. Look at him. He's he's got a lot of momentum. He's fun. He's he talks to the media the way that we also would like to talk to the media by telling them to go screw off. <laughs> um, but it's uh, it's it's also you can see the you know the the mainstreamers the charades are sort of overlapping with like the chris christie and the jeb bush types um and the media keeps telling the conservatives who they should vote for and they really don't like that the conservatives are w probably going to ignore them much the same way they did uh, with donald trump it, it's fun to watch uh, the media realize that they finally lost control of conservative voters and and the conservative party it's it's fun to watch they don't like it um i, I know what we should talk so oh and I, one, one last thing one last exclamation mark on the polyev campaign what is so delightful too is that he's not afraid of rebel news we don't get barred from these events he gave a brief interview to our uh colleague uh, dakota um and that is in stark contrast to that ultimate conservative loser 
Erin O'Toole, who would not, who when we went the day before election day last year, Sheila, hid in his bus in the fetal position for 45 minutes before coming out. This is only when his thugs had my camera woman and I uh, put on a live lane of traffic. They lied about the property line in terms of the private and public uh, property. That was uh, that snake, uh, Han, who is no longer with the party, I understand. And thank God that insider is gone. So, um, yeah, you see how things uh, are, are turning out a little differently. Aaron O'Toole, are you learning how it's done now? Oh, what a loser you are. Anyways, go ahead, Sheila. On that point, I've got to give it to Jean Charest. He's also letting our people in. And his his people who work on his campaign, they're not um, scared to talk to us, which I think speaks to the fact that they might be a little scared of us, which is fine. Mm. I want all politicians to be scared of our journalists and to know that our journalists are going to show up and ask you a tough question, whether or not we like the th things that you're saying. We are still going to hold you to account on behalf of the people. And one thing I want to talk about before we get to um, the uh, chats, because I understand there are quite a few, is this bizarre obsession with wastewater. Sorry, Sheila, you faded out there. Could you, could you say that again, this bizarre obsession with? Wastewater. Wastewater. From oh. the, the COVID weirdos, <laughs> the COVID fear mongers. I, I saw this on the horizon about two weeks ago because I saw these government contracts being dished out all over the place for people to test the wastewater. This is raw sewage, by the way. Mm -hmm. Testing the wastewater um, for uh, COVID counts because they can't get people to go get tested anymore because people realize, oh, if I get tested, we're just going to keep this mess going. So people are just not testing anymore. And so what they're doing now is paying people, research scientists, I guess, to test the wastewater from neighborhoods for COVID because apparently you shed COVID in fecal matter. They're giving government grants for this stuff oh. to test your turds for COVID. And so now <laughs> it's like this thing where every day there's another story about COVID results in wastewater keep going up. Yeah, because you weirdos are testing the sewage. You're testing the sewage more and more every day. That You're not even letting people go to the bathroom in peace because you are going up the road and testing the wastewater for, for COVID behind their backs. Um, they don't want to get tested. Leave them alone. Why test the sewage for wastewater? This whole thing with COVID started off with people being scared about toilet paper, and now we're testing sewage. It, it you know, Sheila, stop. and then when you connect the dots, they will use this so-called data as the basis to, yeah, as the basis to bring back uh, vaccine passports and masking and to keep yeah. the travel ban in place for the unvaxxed. That's what this is all about. And they're in a sewer deriving yeah. these samples? That's how desperate they are to find <laughs> elevated case counts. So they are saying, well, this is a good way for us to get a, a macro view of the infection rates. I don't know how you would know that from wastewater, but we can see at least when COVID is going up in certain neighborhoods, 
Um, and that's because the people don't want to be tested. So they can't leave you in peace. They're now testing the wastewater for COVID. And they're already talking about, well, look at the wastewater count, say that we're in the heart of a sixth wave. Unbelievable. Stop it. Although, Sheila, when the shite hits the fan, these people will pick it up and analyze it to see what the COVID count is. <laughs> Here, look at this. They are already talking about it. In terms of infection, we've never seen as high as right now during the entire pandemic. When asked what's behind the high indicator, this is Peter Uni. He said the change in behavior in people returning to pre-pandemic le levels of interaction and activity and the formal end of mask mandates are factors. So he's going to test... <laughs> The sewage to make you wear a mask. This is where we're at in society now. And he goes on to complain that the mask mandates were lifted too early because look of at course. this jar of poop I have. Oh, Science. It, it's gross. Same scientist, same scientist testified on stand in Alberta that, not that one, but the same scientist, the chief medical officer of health, the people we're supposed to listen to. She testified that there were no um, flu cases in Alberta in 2021, like with a straight face. And the same scientist here in uh, Toronto, Sheila, who two years ago, I'm talking about Eileen Davila, literally sent in all the king's horses and all the king's men yeah. to shut down a little barbecue restaurant when 300 meters down the road was a Costco superstore with its food service outlet opened legally uh, serving pizza, burgers, fries, chicken nuggets, you name it. But somehow the COVID cooties are more attracted to a barbecue uh, joint as opposed to a Costco food service outlet. It's the science, don't you know? Weird science. Sheila, we're less than 10 minutes away from 1 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. Uh, I imagine we might have some chats our way right now. Um, but before we get to the chats, there's another way that people can support the work that we do while getting a little something for themselves. And that is by visiting rebelnewsstore.com. We're adding new stuff to the store constantly. You want to show your support for truckers. We've got trucker shirts in there. Um, and we've got, we don't have a big ad budget. So I asked some of our journalists to put together a fun store promo, each one of them. David, you should do one too. Sure. Um, you're going <laughs> to, please, thank you. Um, and here's one from Drea. My mug? I know. It's pretty cool. So is this hoodie I got on, and you could have it on too if you check out our special website at rebelnewstore.com. That's where you can see Freedom Focus hoodies that we have for you, beanies, cell phone cases, you name it, all while supporting our journalism where we fight to bring you the other side of the story as opposed to, you know, being forced by the Trudeau government to fund leftist media out of your taxes. The truth is... Without you and your generosity, there is no Rebel News. So again, if you like the reports that we bring you and that we also fight for freedoms in Canada, please consider doing some shopping, picking up some swag at rebelnewsstore.com. We appreciate your support. I love our merchandise, Sheila. It's good quality That's stuff good. too, isn't it? It feels yeah, nice. It... Uh, I don't uh, take any special care when doing my laundry. I stuff it in the front loader and it comes out <laughs> clean and that's it. Um, and our stuff washes up great. The logos never come off. Um, I, I think it's great work. Um, and uh, Drea, if you want to support her journalism, you can use the coupon code DREA10 and get yourself 10% off uh, your purchase in rebelnewsstore.com. There you go. Okay. I can't wait to see your promo, David. I cannot wait. 
<laughs> well, how are those Menzoid t-shirts doing? <laughs> you know, we found a guy in the wild with the Menzoid shirt. That's all we ever wanted. <laughs> and I and I ponied up that reward, didn't I? We got it on camera. Yeah. Promises made, yeah, promises kept, folks. <laughs> That's right. Uh, okay, let's get to some of these chats. So GGFD, this is 10 bucks. Thank you so much. Heading down to the JCCF, that's the Justice Center, to pick up some more lawn signs for residents in Strathmore, Alberta. By the way, there are more F. Trudeau in Carsland, Alberta, than there are Canadian flags. You know, I see it everywhere. And sometimes I think, well, it's just because, like, um, the closest I get on, unless it's for work, to Edmonton is Fort Saskatchewan. That's a pretty blue-collar place. Uh, lots of farmers, lots of oil field workers and people who work in petrochemical and it's everywhere it's on every single pickup that it's f trudeau and i thought it was kind of just because of where i live but even when you go to edmonton you see a lot of them now too oh 100 wouldn't it be great uh, sheila if some private member introduced a bill to temporarily make that our official flag until trudeau leaves office <laughs> Well, I don't know if you saw uh, Alexa's report where uh, parliamentary police were telling her uh, you can't have those flags on the hill. Like yeah. not, they, she was there overhearing them. Oh, say I saw it. that. You can't have those flags yeah. on the hill because they are offensive. Yeah. But wait a minute. Um, and they're acting on a memo, not any kind of law passed. Right, Sheila? Th this was the uh, and, and by the way, the parliamentary police service. I have found to be really good guys and gals. Uh, yeah. The, yeah. The, you yeah. know, uh, I, I call them as I see them, folks. But for them to be acting on a memo, that's not how law works in Canada. Some bureaucrat, some politician writes up a memo, hands it to the parliamentary police service and say and says, uh, enforce this. Uh, these flags are, uh, you know, uh, offending the sensibilities of our our fearless leader. Give me a break. Yeah, you know, and that's the thing. Offensive to whom? Justin yeah. Trudeau? Who cares? <laughs> he, he's the most powerful person in the country. I'm supposed to care if his feelings are hurt? Really? I'm supposed to care if his feelings are hurt? Yeah. I don't. And where else are you supposed to express how disgruntled you are with the government, especially the federal government? I think the best place to express that is probably peacefully with a sign or a flag at Parliament Hill. And you know, Sheila, it, it, getting technically uh, technical here, it's not even a matter of profanity because... The F word, uh, the U is typically substituted with a maple leaf, right? Yeah. So it's yep. F, maple leaf, CK. And uh, hey, listen, we live in a, uh, a country where there is French connection UK, uh, where just the reversal of two letters uh, makes uh, a, a very profane word uh, seemingly okay. I think it's a really cheap joke. I mean, I, I, I like it, it, but if you want to shop there, you can shop there. But if the F part in the flag, uh, you know, against Trudeau is offensive, then uh, French Connection UK stores, they're going to have to change their name too, Sheila. You, you got to, you know, have a level playing field, right? If you rolled up with and I remember because this was actually a thing because the CBC thought it was funny and cute. If you rolled up, let, let's say you rolled up to uh, Parliament Hill with an F Harper car. Oh, yeah. That blared La Cucaracha and uh, was just, you know, just smoking, burning oil. Um, they would be down there defending your free expression and running all kinds of 
stories about how it was cute and how eccentric the guy who owned the car would be. There was a guy with a car like that. I don't think he took it to Parliament Hill, but he was just driving around. And every time you turned around for about three months, there was an article in the CBC about the guy who's just kind of a just a left wing guy. Um, but it was all like how uh, eccentric and sort of charming this guy was in his prickly sort of way. Versus how they treat these F Trudeau flags. I've got an even better example, I think, uh, Sheila. And I think, I, you know, we were going to do a story on this and it sort of got lost in the shuffle. And I think I will do a story on this because it's really getting my dander up. You go to the lefty neighborhoods of the city of Toronto and wherever there's a stop sign. So you have, you know, the red stop sign and then under it, it'll say um, Stephen Harper. So the idea is stop Stephen Harper. Uh, yeah. Rob Ford. Uh, hello, guys. Uh, Rob Ford has passed on. Uh, he has been permanently stopped. Uh, stop um, uh, meat production. Um, it, it, you know, it, here's the thing. This is the, you know, defacing uh, traffic signs. This is vandalism. And it seems that the city of Toronto turns a blind eye to it. I mean, when you're talking about uh, stopping Harper and stopping Rob Ford, we're talking about uh, people that have been out of office for several years now. And yet they, yeah. they, they allow that. Um, so I think I'm going to pick that up because uh, that is actual um, vandalism, as far as I can tell. It, it's graffiti on a traffic sign, and uh, it should be uh, taken care of. But I think most of the lefty loons on Toronto City Council, they would approve those messages. That's the problem. Yeah, I'm not sure if they're going to care so much about defacing a stop sign when they just let people take over Nathan Phillips Square and turn it into, you know, uh, a no-go zone for journalists. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <clears throat> Anyways, let's keep going. Uh, AMT60 gives us a buck. Are you aware the Ontario Party has a petition to ban digital ID in Ontario? I've signed it and forwarded it, and then she links to it here. Um, you know, once you start poking around about digital ID, governments are pretty quick to back off on it. Saskatchewan canceled their digital ID once right. we said, uh, give me all your documents. And then they said, oh, well, okay, but give me $15,000. And so we appealed to the... Uh, information commissioner and they're like well we could it'll be less if you let them send you the documents in digital form and i'm like yeah that's all i ever asked for and then so i'm like yes yes thank you i know it's a different time zone in saskatchewan but apparently it's a different century too um with regard to how you transmit documents um wow but uh once we said yeah of course i still want them send them to me saskatchewan's like oh don't worry we canceled the program and i'm like i still want to know what you guys were saying sorry I still want to know what you were plotting. Unbelievable. Anyways, uh, Annalisa, 1964. Good to see you, Annalisa. Because it's 10 bucks. Well, thanks so much. Hey, I'm a horse. Just give me a laugh because I'm tired today. David did laugh. Uh, anyway, love you both. Great coverage on the trial, Sheila. Uh, Crenshaw, I think you mean Hinshaw's heart is made of ice. Mm. It's like watching somebody pretend to be human. And they know the things that they're supposed to say and they're malingering sincerity. But it, if you've ever had a sincere moment in your life, you know that it's not exactly real. Like when the lawyers are pressing her on, like, did you know that your um, restrictions were causing bankruptcies, potentially causing suicides? 
She just says we were going with the information that we were had at the time and we were using restrictions sparingly and sparsely and everybody matters. She kept saying like everybody matters. Well, well tell I, that to the guy whose business you ruined or the, the churchgoer whose pastor you hauled off in handcuffs Yeah. or uh, James Coates's kids and his wife, um, Tim Stevens screaming children. Did they matter? Is that the new way of saying we're all in this together, which yep, at this yep, point yep. is followed <laughs> by that comedic uh, drum riff? But by the way, with Annalisa, that that horse comment, uh, is she taking a page out of uh, Leah Thomas's book? Does this mean that Annalisa is identifying as a horse? You know, I mean, the bit of trans speciesism. I, I once identified as a cat. We never aired that video. <laughs> I enjoy that video so much. I do. I just don't know where you got a cage that big. I have no idea. Where did you get a cage that big? Anyway. Um, it was hard. <laughs> let's move on. Uh, Fraser McBurney. Uh, Trudeau took a raise more than my pension by more than $4,000. Um, yeah. Where did I see that they just gave themselves? Who just gave themselves a raise again? Oh, jeez. Is it MPs again? Maybe. Probably. Yeah. Talk about being tone deaf, eh, Sheila? Yeah, that's like Hinshaw. She got a raise during the pandemic and it, her edicts were destroying lives. One of the things she said, sorry, I shouldn't go on about Hinshaw so much, was she said that we re, we used restrictions sparingly and sparsely and churches were never closed to in-person churchgoers. What? Technically, uh yes, they did get down to 15% capacity. Or 10 people at a funeral, which is cruel and inhumane. Um, but um, I remember her name signed at the bottom of closure notices for Grace Life. Yeah. Um, Not just closed, Sheila, but surrounded by a fence. How do you get into that place of worship? Snatched for 90 days. They imprisoned the <laughs> pastor and the church. And she's like, they were never closed. Like, you drove at least two congregations hundreds of people underground to worship we used restrictions sparingly and sparsely <laughs> yeah unbelievable okay. what a liar i'm sorry that's a harsh word but that is lying once you put that comment and juxtapose it beside a photograph of grace life not only locked down but fenced off as though it was some kind of concentration camp. No, I'm sorry. Uh, your necromancer is lying, Sheila. Uh, I know, but she does it in the most, like, uh, grade one teacher, um, Miss Lippy from Billy Madison sort of voice, <laughs> you know, where she's like, we used restrictions sparingly and sparsely with the information that we had at the time. We were doing our best to stop community spread. So you closed a church that didn't have an outbreak? Good job. You kind of sound like anyway. Kamala Harris there, Sheila, going, passage of time. The passage of time. <laughs> Do you know, does she get paid by the word, by the way? What's that? Sorry. Does she get paid by the word? <laughs> you know, when she's talking and she's just keeps saying stuff. And I know that I'm sort of guilty of this, too. But sometimes I can't formulate the thought I'm trying to have. So I just let my mouth ramble. Um, but for her, she keeps saying the same thing over and over. And I'm looking at her saying, are they... They paying that woman by the word. Why does she keep talking like that? And she had and then yeah, cackle. 
And yet another <laughs> staffer in her office resigned this week, uh, Sheila. Evidently, it's a toxic uh, workplace environment, despite all that happy talk uh, that Vice President Harris likes to utter, which is inane and vacuous and vapid, but it sounds nice, I guess. Like sand you're through a looking me, glass. <laughs> you're telling me a woman with that kind of cackle made for a toxic work environment? I find that hard to believe, David. She should be standing over a cauldron casting a spell with a cackle like that. Um, anyways, let's keep going. Hollywog gives us two bucks. I think he meant eight out of true eight out of ten of Trudeau's friends get money back. Yeah. Hmm. When was Justin at Agribition in Saskatchewan? Oh my goodness, that would be an excellent video to see him run out of the ex the Agribition or if he goes to like Farm Fair in Edmonton. Boy, that would be fun. Never would be caught dead there. I hope he goes to the CFR, the Canadian Finals Rodeo in Red Deer. That would be wonderful. Oh, not a chance. I, I'm convinced, Sheila, that the federal liberals have just written off the West. They don't care about it. They're concentrated uh, on the seats in um, seat-rich Ontario and Quebec. And um, to hell with the West. You know, it's not even a thought for them. Yeah, they were happy to let Erin O'Toole do the hard work of getting them some liberal ridings <laughs> yeah. in Edmonton and Calgary. Great by point. causing a, by causing a vote split between the PPC. I mean, it cost um, Kerry Diot his seat. Uh, yeah. Good, guy, very good guy, very conservative right. guy. Uh, Kerry Diot he lost his seat in Edmonton um, because of the, exactly because of the vote split. So they were more than happy to not even bother campaigning in the West and just say, "Okay, Erin O'Toole." You alienate them for us, uh, which he did. What a great analysis, Sheila. And to the Liberals, that's simply gravy. It's uh, something they don't yeah. expect. And if it happens, hey, great. It's just uh, gravy on our uh, on our mashed potatoes. So unbelievable. Yeah. No, it's something they can uh, cart around for spite. Yeah. Say, look, it's not Fortress Alberta anymore. We took it back. Well, you didn't take it back. Uh, you just benefited from a vote split yeah. like the NDP did so often here in Alberta in so many ridings. Um, uh, and Mark, Kane and Mark says, uh, I think I need to fill in some words here for you, Kane. I'm still waiting for my ballot to vote Kenny out. I got an email saying I get a ballot. You're writing ballet, but I think you mean ballot. Should I be worried? Um, maybe you want to call the party. I don't know if you're a member, so I can't, I can't give you advice on how to do that. Um, nor should I, but you might want to get in touch with the party. Um, because the leadership review vote is just in a couple of days. Wow. So. I know you'll keep your Although, eye on that one, Sheila. Yeah. And it's, they keep changing the rules and the, you know, the special general meeting is just like in a couple of days and then mm. no one's going to know uh, because it's mail-in voting, who's going to, whether Kenny's going to clear the leadership review or not for quite some time. And it's all very anticlimactic and it's got all my conspiracy hackles up and I'm trying my best not to be like that, but it's boy, it's tough. Anyway, cat uh, barks 68, five bucks. Michelle Rempel is a fraud. I live in her I, ward. I think you mean riding. Didn't even see her the last election campaigning. Hmm. That's odd because she's a very strong campaigner. Um, it's been my experience uh, with Michelle Rempel that um, she starts campaigning early and often. And uh, so if you didn't see her, that that's odd to me. Anyways. Um, now she's campaigning for sneaky Patrick Brown for reasons that just baffle the mind, Sheila. 
it is bizarre because she did sign the Buffalo Declaration. And so that was like the Western autonomy um, sort of manifesto. And it, it was how we could flex our muscles within Confederation. And it did make the party establishment kind of mad because they're like, we're trying to win over Toronto. What are you doing? <laughs> and then now she throws her support behind a guy from just outside of Toronto, uh, a largely unknown kind of mayor with, with a real uh, aggressive lockdown campaign on little kids in his community. It just, it just seems weird. You think that she might throw her support behind somebody in the West or even throw her hat in the riding or in the running herself because she's from the West. But I just, I never anticipated Patrick Brown. I don't anyway. get it. I don't get it. Anyway, this is why I'm not a politician. I'm just a normal person. Um, we are 12 minutes past the top of the hour. I think we can wrap it up because I'm sure that I need to be in court very well um, right now, actually. Oh, I <laughs> but think there's you and one... I also have to record other things. Before you oh, uh, go off to virtual court, Sheila, one more chat. I think it's there. I don't have it yet. <laughs> oh, I want to see that cat video, Annalisa1964 writes. LOL, you're my kind of strange, Menzi. I can promise you this, Annalisa. <laughs> you have never seen me at my any more strange than the trans cat video. We gotta we gotta take a deep dive and see if we can revive that. <laughs> I'm not even sure why it got axed in the first place, but uh, it uh, lives we, on. I wonder if we could. <laughs> yeah, it lives on in the Rebel News archive. But there's a lot of interest in it, and you obviously have no shame. Oh I no! I wonder if we could sell access to it if we did a, something charitable with the money. I, I, I'm down with that. And I think with Transanity at an all-time zenith and uh, getting even more pronounced uh, with each passing week, I think it's a video for our time. <laughs> it was filmed at roughly the same time Steven Crowder went to, I think it was Planet Fitness and claimed to be a woman. <laughs> well, And he didn't try either. He tried is... less than you Far less than you did. Well, I won't say anything more about it, but this is me being beyond a woman, folks. Uh, anyhow. So, well, we'll wrap it Anyways. there. Uh, <laughs> uh, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. A special thank you uh, to our friends that made a financial contribution. It's how we keep the lights on here. And thank you to super producers Olivia and Efren. And, of course, my fantastic co-host, Sheila Gunn-Reed. I'm David Menzies signing off. Uh, there'll be some other Rebels tomorrow on Friday. And in the meantime, stay sane. With uh, the bill that we tabled, we are increasing journalistic independence across Canada. The web giants will have to compensate journalists when they use their content while ensuring a transparent approach that protects uh, freedom of expression. That is essential for journalism, for all communities who count on their local media, and it's essential for our democracy as well. Thank you.